electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's rainy Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Courtney Reagan filling in tonight for Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, Guy Adami, and Karen Feinerman. Tonight on Fast, Amazon in focus as we're hours away from the end of Prime Day or days. But what do early results say about the state of the consumer? Former Best Buy CEO Hubert Jolie gives us his recipe for retailers as they try to ring up sales. Plus, Bitcoin's big bounce, the crypto crashing through the 30,000 mark earlier in the day before staging a massive rebound. We go off the charts to find out where it's going next. And it's the start of a whole new business cycle. The ultimate stay-at-home play is trying to get in on the back-to-work trend, too. We're going to bring you those details. But we start with a big move for big tech. The Nasdaq outpacing the broader market today to close at an all-time high and marking its first intraday record since April. And take a look at some of the fang plus names. Netflix up nearly 3% today. Facebook up more than 2 And Microsoft hitting a market cap of $2 trillion for the first time. It closed just shy of that number. So is this a sign of what's going on in big tech across the board? Steve, I want to start with you. It seems like that's all we talked about for so long. You can't go wrong with Bing. Then that faded a little bit, but we're back. Is this today? Is this forever? My guess is if you overlay uh, interest rates on those charts, they would be inversely correlated. So the lower the interest rate goes, the higher these stocks go. Everyone knows, or, or at least I should say the old train of thought is, you don't invest in tech in a rising rate environment. Right. So that got slammed. Okay. Then when, when rates start to come in, you invest back in tech. That's what we saw. Okay. Tim, we talked last night about Netflix. Um, That was sort of because Netflix signed this new deal with Steven Spielberg. Spielberg, Is there anything having to do with this move today with that sign, or is Netflix just a good name to own in this environment? I don't think Netflix is a good name. I mean, as much as I think the Spielberg driver is is interesting in the context of competing with Disney and Studio, but but back to, you know, mega cap tech, um, Steve's right. I mean, a lot of this is an allocation. Look, we've been trying to say since May of 2020, uh, you know, rotating out of this, rotating out of that. That's when back Banks made their first rotation and people said, OK, uh, FANG has run its course. Uh, if you look at the triple Qs, they've outperformed the S&P by 5.6 percent since mid-May. Um, so and I think this is probably what Steve's talking about, probably where we started to peak uh, on the 10 year. I think we'd even pulled back. But since the Fed, triple Qs have outperformed the S&P by 2 percent. So that has been the trade. And if you think about the, the, the weightings and just reminding our audience that if you look at the triple Qs, uh, about 42, 43 percent of it are FANG stuff. And, and so, I mean, it's dominant. But but I said this yesterday and I, I, I reiterate today because people are like, wow, markets are starting to move higher. Uh, volatility was down a little bit. This is the group that's going to move.
move the headline indices. And if you look at the S&P, uh, we're talking about 22, 23 percent for those same names. So it's it's an important time for markets. Uh, the fact that vol finished below 17, the fact that we're kind of settling in on a range in the 10 year. And I don't I think, uh, you know, I think we are range bound. Um, I think it, it, you know, it, it was a reset last week. Karen, I think that you uh, own some Amazon and you were saying yesterday that you're never really happy if Amazon goes up or Amazon goes down, which maybe suggests to you you don't own the right amount. Would you make any changes here today with Amazon moving higher with the rest of the FANG Plus names? No, I I'll just continue to feel bad regardless of what happens <laughs> and second guess myself. But, you know, I do own, I do have big FANG exposure. Alphabet has been my biggest position for a long time. And uh, I have Apple, I have uh, Microsoft and Facebook as well. I don't have Netflix. I share Tim's concern on valuation basis, but it doesn't seem to matter. But it's funny. I mean, those are sort of old school tech now, right? The fangs are, I guess, I don't know, the elder statesman of the tech world. (laughs) But I'm comfortable with those. I'm comfortable with the valuations. You know, I look at something like a Facebook and you back out the cash. And I mean, these are really value stocks. So I don't think so much about rotating into value over growth or one over the other. I'm not good at picking trends. I'm not good at jumping on the sentiment. I always do it too late, but I just want to own the things that I think are really good. And a lot of these fang names are that. Maybe they went briefly out of favor. I like them still. I like them here. I'm going home long. It's the same as buying them right here. Okay. And Guy, what do you make of this move in Microsoft? Two trillion dollars. That's an elder statesman of the group. And guys in Ellis States. A number of different times we've said <laughs> why, I mean, by a multiple, unfortunately. But it's better than the alternative, I guess. But in terms of Microsoft, yes, we've said it a number of times. It's probably the most important country, uh, company in the world. I don't think that's hyperbole. I think it's true. And they're probably deserved of that market cap. And we really haven't wavered on this name for, you know, the last couple of years. It continues just to grind higher. And you have the growth in by the way, you know, whatever their CEO seems to put his mind to, they're successful at, number one. Number two, you know, Tim is right about Netflix, just going back to that one real quick. I mean, Netflix has been sideways since last July in this 475, 575 range. It really hasn't budged much. So he's right to sort of, you know, so waver from that one. The one that interests me, and Steve Grasso had a great call on this one two quarters ago. Amazon reported a ridiculously strong quarter. You know, I thought the stock was going to take out a new all-time high. It, it, Steve said to fade it, he was right. And then last quarter, same thing, tested the all-time high and failed. Here we are again. I'm hard-pressed to believe it's going to fail this time. I think Amazon into earnings a month from now sets up really well and quickly. Just in terms of Google, I think Karen would probably agree with this. You slap a, you slap a 28 multiple on $100 they're going to earn, and I don't think that's excessive. You can do the math. I mean, you're talking about a $2,800 to $3,000 stock, and I think that's reasonable. I don't like to do mental math. You do it for me. How about that? Uh, Steve, I want to I ask you about what you think when it comes to the regulation that may possibly be coming down the pipeline. If you're an investor or a trader and you want to look at some of these names, how do you have to factor that in? Well, both three, it's the one true sense of uh, consensus that you have equally as many Republicans as you do Democrats that want to regulate big tech. So Democrats are in control. But I think their mind, I think the politicians' mind are on other things. And I think that is symbolic in the stock price that we see. Okay. They're not worried about whether Facebook has its tentacles too many places or Google for that matter. We don't see the CEOs marching around on Capitol Hill. So I think right now regulation is probably third or fourth on the agenda. 
feel like we haven't talked about Apple a lot yet, Tim. What do you think about Apple? That one probably less in regulators' eyes. When well, it comes interesting to place on the charts, and, and Apple did a good job of kind of testing that 121, 123 area, and you know, up around 133, 134, pretty decent resistance again. And I think you, you know, you've got an argument that this may be that move, and this may be that move higher. The valuation in, in Apple, relative, it's, it's interesting. So we talk about Amazon, and I don't think anyone here would call it a value play, but but Amazon at two times GMV and 20 times AWS, if you do a sum of the parts, you, you, have, you can make an argument it's growing into a valuation and it's not expensive. That's an argument I'm making. Um, on, on Apple, the story, you know, on, a, on a forward number, we're anywhere from 25 to 28 times. Apple services business deserves a higher multiple, but that's something that we've all digested. We've also digested uh, a lot of good news around this refresh cycle around 5G. How much pull forward has there been for the holiday season? Which, uh, you know, I, I can't believe it, but I bet we're going to be talking about that sooner than later. So um, of all these mega cap tech names, we mentioned Microsoft and it's $2 trillion. Uh, I, I Look, I, I agree. Amazon is at the front of the list because I think you know, the dynamic here, when you think of 20% of the U.S. population uh, is, is just getting into an e-commerce story, if you look at adjusted retail sales, there's a long way to go for the leader of the pack. And this stock's been doing nothing. And, and the charts tell me I want to own this thing on the break at 3500 Even if that part of the Amazon business is not all that profitable. Well, look, um, I, I think it's it's proven to be again if you look at prime and what that means for the broader you know peripheral of their business it means another six billion on top of the you know eight point six that they're going to do I think the real trade also I, I have to say I'm long Walmart uh, and if I like Amazon at two times GMV Walmart trades at one times it doesn't have the same growth but again the same argument is they're if anything encroaching on Amazon's turf and they they have arguably the biggest footprint in the country yeah they do they always remind us that there's a Walmart uh, within 10 miles of the, of 90% of the U.S. population. Guy, what about a name like Facebook? We actually were talking offline about social media usage and whether or not uh, we're as active as we once were. If you look at Facebook, is that something that you want to play because you're playing the advertising revenue? 100%. I, you know, again, I, I'm not suggesting you should watch the show because you've got a lot of other things to do. But <laughs> one of the things I've said for seemingly the last couple of years is I hate everything about, everything about Facebook I find to be reprehensible except the stock. And, again, just on a valuation basis, you can make a really cogent argument that this should be a 380 to $400 stock, and nothing's happened to dissuade me from that. And, by the way, you know, when things really got bad for them, people didn't flee. And advertisers didn't flee. That's all you need to know. Mm, fair point. Zero in on one of the most powerful FANG names. We've been talking about it, Amazon, because its annual 48-hour Prime event is in the final hours. And early figures show Amazon's Prime Day has helped drive the most online sales over a 24-hour period so far this year. So for more on Amazon and generally strong consumer spending, let's turn to Hubert Julie. He's Best Buy's former chairman and CEO, also the author of Heart of Business, Leadership Principles for the Next Era of Capitalism, which came out just last month. Hubert, it's so nice to talk to you again and have you on the program. I guess let's just start with Amazon because that is the event of the day. It feels funny to talk to you about Amazon after it was sort of your biggest competitor for a long time, but you proved to turn around Best Buy and be a formidable competitor. What do you make of the importance of Prime Day to a company like Amazon that already has captured so much consumer spending with that Prime membership model? Good to see you, Courtney. And, and yes, Amazon, what a formidable company and their ability through Prime Day to create a shopping event that's, of course, way beyond Amazon now, because as we all know, Walmart, Target, Best Buy have all you know, offered uh, savings during, uh, during that time. So they've created a new 
extraordinary shopping day. And part of retailing is about creating demands. And that's what they're, they're doing. Of course, it comes in a very favorable consumer environment. And so when you are a competitor to Amazon and you try to hold a competing promotional event, say a Best Buy, for instance, how does that end up working out in the end for Best Buy? Because you have people more interested in shopping online, there is a halo effect, is there not? Yeah, it's an opportunity. I don't, certainly don't want to speak for our good common friend, Corey Barry, who's doing an amazing job leading Best Buy. But generally speaking, because Amazon has created this uh, wind, you want to take advantage of it. So I think that's what all of these other retailers are, are doing and the consumers uh, benefit. So I think it's smart on, 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 uh, you know, on the part of these uh, other retailers to take advantage of it, for sure. Uh, Mr. Jolie, it's Karen. Thank you so much for joining. So uh, as I'm sure we all know, the pandemic has been great for the Walmarts, the Targets, uh, Best Buy and Amazon. Do you think those are permanent share gains that they've gotten, or is it, is, can anyone compete and take back share? Well, I think we have a um, very favorable consumer environment. I think it's the biggest demand shock since World War II, so it's extraordinary. But it's, it's been affecting different categories differently and different players differently. So categories where, that were hit hard during the pandemic are coming back. So if you think about apparel, I think it was the fastest-growing category in the government's uh, retail data last month. Uh, travel and hospitality, of course, is, is gonna come back. So you have shifts that are taking place. Now, the, the nesting trend, I think, is here to continue. So I would not, uh, but everything related to travel and going back to work is gonna be helpful. The other thing is, I think in retail, and Courtney, you and I have spoken about this before, there's an increasing differentiation between winners and losers. And I think what's interesting in terms of what's happening it's now not just about the consumer, it's also about the employees. I think there was a report from the government that in April, you've seen the largest number of people leaving the retail sector as employees because of the low wages and the difficult working conditions. And so the successful retailers will be companies that are not only able to provide a superior value proposition to customers, but also to their, uh, to their employees. It's not just about the wages, it's about the environment you know, what I talk about in the book in terms of how you unleash human magic, right? So providing a growth environment for, for employees. It's interesting that even Jeff Bezos, our good friend, in his last shareholder letter said, yes, we've been focused on building Earth's most attractive company from a customer standpoint. We're now also going to do it from an employee standpoint. So you're going to see a lot of differentiation on that front as well. Yeah, that was a line that was really pulled out of that shareholder letter because it's not something that we've heard Mr. Bezos talk about that much because he's been so consumer focused. And so you talked about the supply of labor, but what about in general the problems that are going on in the supply chain? That affects retailers from the largest ones to the smallest ones if you're a marketplace seller on a Walmart or, um, or on an Amazon. So what does that end up meaning for consumer spending if you can't actually get the products that you want to buy? Yeah, because because of the size of the demand shock, you know, we are now supply constrained, which is a, a new problem that we, I think Best Buy's comps last quarter were plus 37%. I think I never achieved that when I was the, the CEO. So it's the question of product availability, lead times. Uh, you also have problems with the, uh, you know, the inflation of the uh, cost of, of the supply. So it's a new problem to uh, that uh, companies at all levels are dealing with. And so you can imagine what the growth would be if there was no supply constraint. 
I think it's probably going to work itself out, but in the short term, it's a, it's, it's an issue. Hubert, when I read once that uh, you were, or I should say Best Buy, was reliant on Apple for about 15 to 20 percent of sales a couple of years back. What have you learned from sitting in that seat on how big, square footage-wise, the footprint of the store should be, e-commerce, or what types of JVs to the companies that actually sell within your stores? How do you work through that and not become too reliant on any one partner, so to speak? Yeah, so there's several questions embedded in your question. I think mm-hmm. the, the, what has been our governing thought was always the consumer, right? So instead of trying to lead the consumer to buy online or in the stores, we would say, so what is the need of the customer and what's the best way to serve them? And then we're going to serve them as, you know, whatever and, and however they want to be uh, served. As we lead to the partnerships with the, the world's foremost tech companies, whether it's Apple, whether it's Microsoft, Samsung, even Amazon with whom we partnered them, and Google. You know, other than the pandemic, I think there's another disease in the world, which is the idea of zero-sum games. You know, Amazon was going to kill us, and the only way for us to not die was to kill Amazon, which would have been hard. Right? Uh, but instead, we focus on let's become the best version of Best Buy we could be. And uh, I think partnerships are part of, uh, of business, and while Amazon and Apple are competitors of, uh, of Best Buy, we've partnered with them to the satisfaction of, uh, of customers. As, relates, as it relates to the size of the stores, that's going to be very interesting to watch. And I know that Corey is experimenting with a number of uh, formats. He talked about it on the last earnings calls. The shift to online is so significant. When I started, it was 5% of revenue at Best Buy. Now I think it's around 40%. So, of course, it has implications on the store footprint, the role of the stores, you know, is it fulfillment? Is it very experiential? So what's the mix? I think the next five years are going to see a lot of evolution. It takes time, right? Because it's a physical asset. You cannot just switch it. It's not like an online where you can do A-B tests and then you choose and five minutes after this, you're done. It's going to take a while, but we're going to see significant evolution of the role of the stores. No doubt that stores will continue to play a critical role, but it's going to be part Great experience, part fulfillment, part convenience. So a lot of work to do on that front. Yeah, that's right. And Corey is talking also about labor and retraining labor and having different types of labor in the store to adapt to those models. Hubert Jolie, former CEO and chairman of Best Buy and author of The Heart of Business. Thank you for being here with us this evening. Good to see you. All right, let's trade it. Let's talk actually a little Best Buy. Why not? Karen, you own a lot of consumer names. What do you think about a Best Buy? I, well, I miss the run of Best Buy. I miss his, his great tenure there, mostly. Um, but so for me, you know, the, I'm in some of the other names we talked about yesterday. The Target. Target's my biggest retail position. Amazon is a much smaller one. And then Walmart. They're with Tim. I like Walmart. I like what they're doing. The valuation isn't so stretched. But the best of the bunch to me in terms of risk reward is Target right here. And it'll all sound high today. What's interesting about back to Best Buy is they're, you know, they're, they're playing around with an Amazon model in terms of what Amazon look, Prime now 200 million strong worldwide is part of that flywheel and part of what I think Prime Day is really all about, adding is, more of right. those folks exactly. and, and the stickiness of that. But Best Buy has been experimenting with with a, an annual subscription, either for technology or an annual subscription, even for, for trade ins. And I, it, it's fascinating because, again, that gets people in the store, gives them confidence that there's someone there for them. It kind of 
gets into that fulfillment dynamic that we just talked about. But I, I think other folks you know, are, are trying to you know, determine what's the way that they can create their own flywheel. And I think for Best Buy, um, especially when you have obsolescence or you have refreshes and so many different products, that's pretty interesting. I had a, a Best Buy service um, experience recently, and it was very good, actually. Yeah. And I normally had only shopped for actual You're device products, geek, so Court? I'm not a device geek, and I uh, technology scares me. And there was a there was a coffee spillage situation, oh. but uh, Best Buy helped me recover some some so your pictures of the you, little guy. You can spill coffee with this membership on your laptop. And I, be good. Th- that's what they told me. That's what they told me. So, Steve, it's great for you. Yeah, <laughs> good good to know. Well, meanwhile, Jerome Powell just wrapping up his testimony before the House Subcommittee on the coronavirus response, and that just happened in the last hour. So let's get to Elon Moy with the latest developments on what Mr. Powell had to say. Hi, Elon. Hi, Courtney. Well, Fed Chair Jay Powell repeatedly made the case that inflation is transitory, saying the supply chain was caught flat-footed by the dramatic spike in consumer demand. But eventually, he does expect those pressures to moderate. It should not leave much of a mark on the ongoing inflation process. So there's no reason why it should leave a mark on inflation, say, a year or so ahead, because we should be through it then. The other major point of contention was enhanced unemployment benefits. Powell argued the labor market will pick up once they run out in the fall. But GOP Representative Jim Jordan seized on that comment as evidence that the benefits are holding back the labor market. That's not what Democrats are saying. They're talking about renewing them. And if so, if it helps, if they if they run out, if they renew them, won't that hurt? Well, these are, these are judgments for people who stand for No, I'm election. just following your logic. You said if it runs out, that will help the employment situation. I mean, I, I got employers. Su- I, think, I think we'll see strong job creation in the, uh, in the fall. I really do. Now, on the Fed's emergency lending facilities, Powell said they work better as backstops rather than as direct loans. But as for what investors care most about, rate hikes and asset purchases, Powell did not get any questions about them, and he didn't bring it up. Courtney? <laughs> Thank you very much, Elon. I appreciate it. There was some interesting line of questioning from Steve Scalise in that as well, near the top of that testimony. Well, coming up, a chip rip. Wall Street going all in on shares of NVIDIA today. We'll break down what's behind the big move and how to trade that. Plus, as Bitcoin breaks down, we're taking to the charts to navigate the wild swings in the crypto space. There's more Fast Money right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.
Welcome back to Vast Money. Shares of NVIDIA ripping higher today on the back of an upgrade by Raymond James. Analysts upping their price target on the stock from $750 to $900 a share and saying NVIDIA is the semi-name best position for growth over the long term. Guy, you flagged the recent move in this stock. I know Bank of America also had an upgrade to $900 on Friday, so now they're tied for the street high. What do you make of the action today in NVIDIA trading at $755? It's, it's, it's been fantastic. I mean, if you really look at this stock, another one that went sideways for a period of months, just consolidating, then it's breaking out to these next levels post-earnings. I mean, this is where the growth is. And people will say, listen, trading 43, 44 times next year's number, it's rich. And it is, except that you know, it's one of the few chip companies that has that type of growth. And we've said this for quite some time. You have Jeffries, I think, on an $854 price target. Ray J, you just mentioned. You can make a pretty compelling case for those uh, price targets without question. Because coming off that last earnings release, where they're in the spaces where everybody seems to want to be, and they have a head start, there's no reason not to believe the stock can't continue to grind higher. Karen, we talked about big tech in the beginning of the show. We didn't get into any of the chip names. Do you like NVIDIA here, or would you want to dabble somewhere else? I mean, I, you know, I look at fundamentals and, I, you know, that was an interesting piece. Clearly, they've been bullish. They've been right. The stock's been it's done tremendously well. But when they sort of back into this number using a I think it was a fiscal 23 mid 40s enterprise value to EBITDA, how they picked that, I don't really know. But that's how you get to 900. I don't know. It's, it's just too rich for my blood. I wouldn't short it for sure. But this is the kind of thing I feel like, all right, we do get an interest rate spike. This is going to be pretty vulnerable. So I, I think the multiple, you, you can at least get comfortable with the growth around the two biggest segments for the company and, and the fact that these are two incredibly sexy segments out there already. So gaming, it's almost a $3 billion business form, was up 106% year over year on these past numbers, and data center, which was up almost 80%, and that's a $2 billion business. That's part of the story here. That's part of the multiple. Great job, guys, made a call on this uh, on the breakout. And if you look at this stock uh, relative to the SMH or the semiconductor uh, ETF, it's outperformed by almost 35% since the end of, of March. So again, uh, I, you know, at semis have been calling the market move overall as a, as a subsector, and, and, and NVIDIA, in some sense, might be the call that's pulling everything else higher. I know that's a little extraordinary, but again, the numbers are insane. And if you, if you look at the stock, once, since they announced the stock split, the stock is up yeah. 30%. So we all talk about this all the time. Stock pl- splits do nothing fundamentally for the stock. But yet everyone rushes in. We saw it with Apple. We saw it with Tesla. Reverse splits are negative and the right way splits are positive. That's what we saw here, too. Very interesting. Well, 755, a ways to go to 900, but perhaps it'll get there. We're just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Trouble in the skies. Why a surge in unruly passengers is causing some turbulence for the airlines. And from crypto to IPO, we're breaking down the most speculative trades in the market and going off the charts to find out where they're headed next. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. 
designed for work. Welcome back to Fast Money. Bitcoin breaking down today, dropping below $30,000 for the first time since January. The crypto did stage a midday comeback. You can see it very clearly in the charts. But in what direction is it going from here? And for more on Bitcoin and other speculative trades, we're going to bring in Chris Barone of Strategis. Chris, take it away. Hey, Courtney. Yeah, you know, I think when we talk about Bitcoin and the other speculative corners of this market, we have to talk about A, the charts, but B, what are the macro implications of what they're telling us? And you know, if you look at Bitcoin specifically, I brought along a couple charts here. The first chart, we do think this is a pretty big top formation. I mean, Bitcoin's already down 50%. Our view has been from here, best case dead money, worst case lower. And if you look at the last really 30, 35 days, we've spent it in this 30,000 to 40,000 range. That's nearly identical to the range we spent in January and February, but with one big difference. Back then, you were above the 200-day. Now you're below the 200-day. So the technical condition of the chart has deteriorated. We think that upper 30, low 40 range is going to prove to be big resistance uh, moving forward. And I think when you get declines of this magnitude down 40 50%, you need to see the period of apathy or disinterest that typically follows that. And that's what I'm not convinced that we've seen yet. And and frankly, that takes some time. And that really brings us to our second chart, just looking historically or longer term. When Bitcoin breaks, it tends to stay broken and it tends to stay broken for a while. So what I'm just showing you here is Bitcoin versus the 200-day moving average. Uh, Two periods, um, 2014, 2015, you spent 380 trading days below the 200-day And 2018, 2019, you spent about 316 days below the 200-day. So when we've seen this break trend, it tends to stay broken for a longer period of time. And I think Bitcoin, you know, more broadly, if you go to our next table here, thinking about Bitcoin as one of these speculative darlings of the last six, seven, eight months. And if you look at what Bitcoin was at one point this year, up 120% at one point year-to-date this year, down to roughly flat now. And that's true for a lot of other of these very speculative securities, the IPO index at one point was up 20, now it's flat. The ARC fund was up 26, now it's down two or three. You kind of go down the list, whether it's the SPACs or Tesla or the solar ETFs, we've seen the air come out of all the speculative, uh, out of all these speculative trades. What I think is notable though, bond yields have come down from 175 to 135, and that still has not been enough to kind of reignite the flame behind some of these speculative trades. And that brings us to our last chart, which is just tech broadly. And I'm curious, does the weakness in all the speculative groups, does the weakness in Bitcoin ultimately start to weigh here on tech again? Now, I recognize tech in the absolute sense is at new all-time highs, but it's not there in relative dollars. And I find that notable. Tech relative to the S&P has not made a new high here. And I think it's uh, interesting when you put it in context of bond yields. Again, bond yields have come down and tech has not returned with the same type of leadership. So for us, looking at these speculative trades, looking at Bitcoin is more about just their just their charts, but also more about the macro climate that they operate in. Chris Barone of Strategist. Thank you. Let's trade this. Karen, what do you make of these charts and this analysis? Well, I, I, I'm long Bitcoin, so I do, you know, watch it pretty closely and some other currencies as well. Um, I thought it was interesting, but I, I am not a um, 
price action junkie. And I actually, I don't mean to take your role, Courtney, but I want to ask Guy a question. Yeah, yeah. Which is, Guy, when you look at the price action today, would you say Bitcoin had a good day because it broke 30 and then was able to rally back and actually close in the green? Or did it have a bad day because, in (laughs) fact, it broke 30 and it will see that again? Yeah, thanks, Karen. I would say the latter. And, you know, Tim talks about this all the time. Um, the trades, you know, trades typically you're looking for things to create the most pain for the most amount of people, sort of the reverse utilitarian thing. And in this case, my sense is that would be lower for Bitcoin. And that's probably what's going to happen. You know, if you just look at this as a commodity, it's trading exactly like a lot of commodities do. Stairs up, elevator down. And here we are. Carter Worth has talked about this. 20,000 was resistance back in 2017, December. Past resistance becomes support. And just the way it's trading lends me to believe that we're going to see that. Now, if you have the belief, like a lot of people are, that this is a half a million dollar, million dollar thing, a move from 30 to 20 is negligible. But if you're trading it just around the 20 to 60 range, it's significant. I would wait for the pullback to 20, in my opinion. Tim, Guy threw you in. What do you make of it? Well, I, I think part of this is momentum, and momentum lost is something that I think is going to take some time. It's interesting that, that a lot of those trades broke down in mid-February, and, and, and there's different reasons for it. But again, if you look, uh, as Chris Verone referenced, the triple Qs essentially were at all-time highs against the S&P on February 11th, and then his chart showed that breakdown. And I, I think ultimately, uh, whether it's the SPAC index or whether it's some of these uh, space names or EV names. I, I, like, I, I think those were symptoms of, of a market that, that just was too frothy. And, and I think in some sense, this is all very healthy. Um, look, Bitcoin advocates and, and really digital uh, advocates, so you know, blockchain uh, and, and all of the dynamics around this are things that you know, most people think are, are uh, it doesn't matter. They're indifferent to these types of moves. They've seen it before. And, and I think there are, as Guy said, there are a lot of traders um, that have been caught at, at the wrong time here, uh, putting the most money in at the, at the peak. But uh, most of the folks that are hardcore Bitcoin and digital advocates are, are you know, they're, they're, they're not even thinking about this. Yes, they're upset about the move in their, in their P&L, but um, I, I think it's expected after the move we had on the way up. And they also have red eyes. I just looked <laughs> in their uh, pictures, right? On their you got to have your red eyes. You got to have, have, have red eyes. You got to have your red eyes. You learn something new every day, if you're me. Well, coming up, a surge of unruly passengers in the sky, causing some major headwinds for the airline industry. We'll tell you how to trade the turbulence. Plus, all eyes on home builder KB Home ahead of earnings. What the options market expects to see in the housing trade. You don't want to go anywhere because we've got a lot of fast money left right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Trouble in the skies as unruly passengers cause some turbulence for the major airlines. Actually, mentioned this last night. For more, let's bring in Phil LeBeau. He is at the Chicago O'Hare Airport. Ah, that airport. Phil. Courtney, new data from the FAA shows just how bad the problem is when it comes to unruly passengers. They just announced another proposed $124,000 in fines, bringing the total number of proposed fines this year for unruly passengers to 563,000. According to the FAA, there are reports from the airlines of more than 3,100 unruly passengers. Now, the FAA doesn't take action on all of those. They investigate them, but they have taken action on many of them. 75% of the cases involve passengers refusing to wear their masks or mouthing off or pushing back when it comes to uh, the requirement that you wear a mask on the airplane. 
And in 60 of the cases, at least 60 of the cases, there was a physical assault. This week, you're seeing the FAA and the airlines ramp up pressure to bring more public attention to this issue, with the airlines and airline unions sending a letter to the attorney general saying these incidents pose a safety and security threat to our passengers and employees, and we respectfully request that the Department of Justice commit to the full and public prosecution of onboard acts of violence. By the way, the FAA and the airlines have asked the FAA to refer more of these cases to the DOJ. Tomorrow morning, you do not want to miss our exclusive interview with Steve Dixon, administrator for the FAA, a former Delta pilot. He's familiar with what happens in the air when you're commanding an aircraft and the passengers get out of line. We'll talk to him about this latest information, also about the new efforts from the FAA to draw public attention to this, including a tweet they just sent out where they basically mocked the people who are not considering acting appropriately by saying, if you wouldn't act like this at your grandmother's house, why would you act like this on an airplane? So you don't want to miss that interview tomorrow morning, Courtney. Lots to discuss with Steve Dixon. We're going to be watching that one, Phil. And that's so funny. They just sent out that tweet. But the first thought in my head when I watched that video was, where were you people raised? That is horrible. I cannot imagine Do doing that to someone else. Complaint Thank about, you, Phil. about the, the airlines were food. Oh, yeah. Like that was the biggest complaint. Now you have oh, to go and you have to fight yeah. and wrestle. And like, you know, people could spit on you. And that's that's just horrible. Well, they so. should keep showing that clip of that guy <laughs> spitting because right? everyone, and he, he, that guy's in your town, man. He, you know, anyway. So, so look, for, for airlines, though, is, is this really changing? I, if anything, uh, I think the expectations we have when we're flying about the experience is, is not great, clearly. I know. Um, but, but I think it, it, it sets up well for the airlines to be delivering on that. And, and I think, I, I don't think it has a whole lot to do with, with airline valuations here. But, but, you know, clearly as we get into, uh, a resurgence in business travel and, and some of the things that are really, uh, to me, the, the multiple drivers for airlines, that's where I think airlines are going to distinguish themselves. And that's where I think they're going to uh, actually stand out from each other. And I think that's I think passengers will vote with their feet. Hmm. Guy, what do you make of this? I think we were you were on the desk when we were talking about the unruly behavior in the past. But what does that make you think about any of these names with the recovery trade? Does one stand out more than another? Yeah, well, I mean, if, if you're looking for a play there, we, we mentioned SPR last night. I'll mention Expedia today. It's pulled off the all-time high. They report a month from now. My instinct suggests you're going to start seeing some upgrades in that name as we get close to earnings. In terms of the unrest and the unruly people, I mean, put your rear end in the seat and don't get up. I mean, I'm, this is my OK Boomer moment, but I remember in the early 90s, I flew home from South Africa, 16-hour flight. I did not move from my seat and Karen can speak to that because she's seen me fly. I get in the seat and I don't move. I suggest you all do the same thing. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, just put your bottom in the seat, put your mask on, you know, mind your manners. This is uh, just wild to me. That video is just insane. Thank you all for playing this game. Can I just add game. one thing? Yeah, please, Karen. We've traveled together. We've done a few things. Guy always checks luggage, no matter what. We could be going for one day. Oh, man, it's the awful. guy it's checks true. luggage. It's ridiculous. Is that because you want to be fast boarding the plane, or what's the why? Why check the luggage? You're just adding potential hiccups to I, your trip. 
No, I'm not. I want to be unencumbered as I make my way through the airport. I mean, people bring it's amazing. You look at the airport now. It's like the Beverly Hillbillies. People bring everything they own through the airport. It's anarchy at the highest level. I'm trying to make it easy for everybody. I always I always wear like the biggest things in my suitcase. You know, like I'm Joey from Friends wearing all of Chandler's clothes to save room in my bags because I want to be able to bring the bag on the plane. There's a system. You just have to follow a system, guy. I'll teach you. Coming up, we've got our move of the day on deck. One ETF making some big leaps lately. We've got the name next. Plus, options traders are gearing up for earnings and one home builder that could be standing on some strong foundation. We're drilling into that one when Fast Money returns. Miss a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the Russell 1000 growth ETF hitting an all-time high today. The gains led by some big moves and a couple stocks. Cloud software company Splunk surging on a billion-dollar investment from Silver Lake Partners. Virgin Galactic hitting its highest level since February. Peloton jumping after announcing a new corporate wellness program that will subsidize employees' memberships. And CrowdStrike getting upgraded to buy its steeple. So let's do a little trader's choice here. Which of these names do you like, Karen? I'm going to start with you ladies first. Oh, gosh. I don't know. They're all they're all super expensive. That's what they all kind of have in common to me. So I don't know. The Peloton plan to me makes sense, but not at the valuation. So I don't know. All right. All right. Karen doesn't know. I have to pass on the game. Okay, Karen's passing. Steve? So a a couple things. When I was looking at these charts, when I look at CrowdStrike, it's up 45 percent since May, early May. Twilio up 38 percent and Peloton up 45 percent. I think to Karen's point, I think that it's kind of genius, Peloton, moving into the corporate side. Mm -hmm. That's probably one thing that could save them because no one wants to be in your apartment, in your house. They want to get out. They want to be back in a gym. They want to get back involved outside of their house. But now if they're back at work, now you could sort of monopolize or at least leverage that. So I'm going to say Peloton, and it's definitely unusual for me. Peloton, Trader's Choice, Tim. I like Splunk, and and I think after what has been a massive, massive pullback, again, it's a software play. We know what was going on with high multiple software stocks. I I, I like this one. I like, uh, technically, I also like the base that it put in. I, I think all of those stocks really, with the exception of CrowdStrike, which kind of was doing nothing after a big uh, bounce towards the end of last year and has now started to break out again, um, are, are these high multiple high growth stocks mm-hmm. that, that I think uh, in many cases uh, have gone through a very painful process of also weeding out a share, you know, a shareholder base. And, and I think a lot of these companies, uh, you know, I think let's put it this way. I, I think a Splunk over a Virgin Galactic. I mean, I think there's, you know, there are real folks that are investing in this. I, I think you know, something like Virgin Galactic really is a momentum stock um, that's going to be coming and going with the waves of, of you know, emotion around that. So mm. anyway, I like Splunk here. Virgin Galactic up 9% today. Okay, Guy, you finish us up here. Will you like any of these names? Yeah, I'm with Steve. Peloton on the wellness play for sure. And you look at them since their earnings release in early May. I mean, the stock cratered down to 80, and it's been off to the races ever since. And they continue to sort of, in my opinion, you know, rebrand themselves from hardware play to this wellness play. And I think they're going to continue to do so. So given the choice between those names and a bunch of other names, by the way, Peloton. Hmm, very interesting. Coming up, home builder earnings are on deck and options traders are betting one stock builds higher and higher. We've got that name for you next. And as we head out, a message from CNBC producer Scott Stern as we celebrate Pride Month. 
Growing up for me, there weren't many role models, so I had to figure it out for myself. Then I realized that I was just trying to blend in and not stand out. I think the most important thing is to realize that you have to be true to yourself and not try to blend in and figure out your way to stand out. And that's how that you're going to gain respect from your coworkers and everybody around you. And it's the only way to really be proud of yourself. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of Nextdoor. Catch that full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. Meanwhile, markets carefully watching tomorrow's housing data with economists forecasting new home sales rose more than 1% in May. Plus, we'll get another read on the market when KB Homes reports earnings after the bell. Mike Coe has the options set up heading into that print. Mike, what are you seeing here? Hi there, Courtney. So looking at KB Homes, this thing traded 12 times its average daily call volume. Calls significantly outpacing puts. Right now, the options market is implying that it'll move about 4.5% or so after they report earnings. That's slightly less than the 5.3% that they've averaged over the last eight quarters. But all of that call volume suggests that options traders are betting that the stocks could be higher. The most active were the July 44 calls. Over 2,400 of those were trading for about $1.70. So they're betting that the stock is going to be at least 5.5% higher by July expiration. Thank you very much. Mike Coe, KB Homes. We've got something to watch for. Tim, how do you want to trade this? So well, existing home sales today were, were, were solid, but the problem is that the affordability is, is a big issue. And I, again, I think that the home builders are subject to some of this. Some of them have better books than others. Um, I, I think the way you're playing it, again, is, is the home improvements. So Home Depot and Lowe's, which have had pullbacks, I think I'd like to see them a little bit lower. But, but look, Williams-Sonoma is not an expensive stock. And, and people are still nesting, even though they're out and about. Uh, the value of homes have gone higher. People are making their home showcase. Cases, and I think that continues. And it's likely. still taking a long time to get anything you've oh, ordered, man. by the way, yeah. at home, forever. What, what are you waiting on? Um, a, a couch. Yeah. <laughs> We've had a couple of false starts, but uh, we're going to get it one day. Good we're going to get it. Okay, thanks. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up next, your final trades. It's time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Karen, who you got? Yeah, I got my, my summer intern, my nephew. He is all over Amazon. I should have listened to him. There's so much stuff. <laughs> Put him to work. Guy. What a cutie. Expedia, Courtney. Okay, Steve. Apple. I'm going with value and growth. When I said cutie, I actually meant the little boy. Uh, oh, Tim. Oh, Karen, come on. <laughs> I, all right. Um, so, look, the financials are starting to put a base under that 10 percent pullback last week. XLF bounced off the 100. Uh, you know, look, I think you can continue to ride this trend. Again, the fundamentals are very, very strong in that space. Look at that cute little boy. So cute. We need more of him. <laughs> Thank you for watching Fast Money, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. Hey, buddy. <laughs> This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.